All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 376. Jason Lingren is with me. And you may remember back on a previous episode, 301 Sui Generis. That is a pseudonym and it is also a legal term. What we're going to cover here has to do with birth records. Now, let's get something straight out of the gate. This is informational. This is not some information to be used to go try to reclassify your status or anything like that. But what it is, is getting much closer to what actually happens uh, when all these documents are created at your at your birth. And so, Jason, did I drop anything there in the description to cue this up? That's a good way to primer it up. And there's a lot more to say from there. There is a lot more to say. And basically, what you're going to find is that in the pre, right before we came on the air and with some of the past guests, a lot of this is about your mind. If you understand what is real and what is not real, then maybe you've won half the battle, but only half the battle. Uh, anyhow, welcome, Swee. Do you think that's a, a true statement? Yeah, thank you. Hi. Uh, I, I do. It's very well said that it's really about reality versus fiction. And you have to anchor yourself to the reality and you have to be able to develop ways to recognize what is provable reality and what is an opinion or fictional uh, view that you might base your own views on. That's a crucial question, reality versus fiction. All right. You'll notice in the episode image, I tackle these very ideas. Uh, you'll notice that there is a real living baby down in the bottom right corner and everything else is a possibility. Up top dead center is a fiction being created and it's supposed to mean that the perception of the living man or living woman then branches off into fiction. Down in the lower left corner is a possibility that then leads to reality. And again, we're probably going to end up covering ideas about jurisdiction and everything else. Because if you're in a real world and thinking in a real material way of things that truly exist, there's probably a jurisdiction for that. On the other hand, there's a lot of traps in this world. If you're living in fantasy land, there's probably a jurisdiction where you can go run in circles there too. We're going to let Sui define these things as we get in. Um, but where do you want to start? Um, I feel like, I, I don't know, if you want to recap, but I feel like most people are, are caught up. I feel like we can jump in. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just say that the core of it is to realize that there is at one point in time which they call the birthday, there's paperwork created. And that paperwork is not created by you. It's created by the church and the state. And that paperwork creates what I like to call the registered person. It's the person on the population record or register. And that person is the citizen. Let's be clear here, Sui. That's a legal fiction, right? Yeah, so it's paperwork created by them. And what we ended up last time is that by what authority did they even create that paperwork? Because it's not created by you. It's created by them. It's their creation. And therefore, it's, it's subject to their authority because it's their creation. So now, I guess sort of the, our rough agenda for this call is that since we know that the paperwork is something different, then the first question is, how can they do what they do legally? Then the second big question, even, even bigger question is, well, if all this show runs on this paperwork, which is not true, then what's the true identity? What's the implication of that once you start seeing the difference? So as you get ready to jump in here, Sui, let's just remind some people of things Jason and I have covered. In the United States, back in the day, a baby was born. The family took the family Bible, they registered, they listed the name into the Bible. Many Bibles had a place for this very thing. And anytime they dealt with an official source, like a city or something, and they had to make proof that there was a living baby, they busted out their Bible and everybody accepted it. Then we got to census and the population bureau. I've forgotten the names now and everything began to change. So this is what SWE is tackling. How the hell did these documents get created? Who created them? 
on what authority did you create them? And there you go, sweet. Add anything else in as we get into this that I might have dropped. I like that. It's a good point. So back in the days when somebody showed the Bible with the children's names on it, that's a record as well, isn't it? But it's, it's a record created by somebody else than them. It's your record, right? Unless the church comes in and says, well, you wrote it on our book, right? Then they, you know, I don't know that, that that's, that's hypothetical, but still your record, the family created it. What I'm saying is you're the author of that text and the authority um, to say what that text means. And that's crucial because today the record is created by them. So it's, they are the author of that paperwork. So then they get to define what that paperwork means. And that's really a big question. So one of the things I don't really remember if we talked about this particular uh, aspect last time, but when I started digging into their paperwork, I asked, uh, so I contacted the, uh, like the official uh, Institute for the La- Local Languages, which is a government uh, department. And then I asked, like, if I have some paperwork from some uh, government department and I don't know what it means, then who's responsible to clarify the, the intended meaning of the words of the paper? And they came back with a written response saying that it's whoever writes the text needs to make sure that it's interpreted correctly. But as we know, words have so many different meanings that when was the last time you saw any citations in any official paperwork? Never. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what happens there is that whoever creates a text is the only one who knows what the words are supposed to mean. And when things get complicated in a large organization, that meaning gets lost. So basically, um, if we start looking at the, let's say, law book guidelines on how are the words interpreted, because that's essentially what happens in courts. Uh, you interpret what's, what has happened and you look at, for example, paperwork as evidence. So I found this really interesting reference from Rules of Evidence. It's a Henry Wigmore book. It's an old one. A really long name, Treatise on the System of Evidence in Trials at Common Law, including the statutes and judicial decisions of all jurisdictions of the United States. Volume 4, page 314. There's rule number 2462, which says, the ordinary standard or plain meaning is simply the meaning of the people who did not write the document. The fallacy consists in assuming that there is or even can be some one real or absolute meaning. In truth, there can be only some person's meaning, and that person whose meaning the law is seeking is the writer of the document. In that definition is basically described why the intention is so crucial part in law. Because basically, paperwork is just evidence of something. And if those words are supposed to be evidence of something, then they are evidence of the intention that the writer had when he wrote those words. See? Which, by the way, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but nobody knows where these documents came from. I was going to, matter of fact, when we get done with this, I'm going to catch everyone up on the first two major bullet points to point out and back up what you just said, but nobody knows who the heck created these documents, right? Yeah. So I've been chasing that. I've been chasing that question. I really asked it many, many times directly from various officials of these departments who create these documents. And as you remember from last time, the church documents don't even have any name on it. They just signed it with the stamp. So you can't trace it back. And then my follow-up question was, well, who created the template? Because this is, this is like a government form, right? That you're supposed to fill in text on a form. Well, you're pressured into filling out that form. Yeah, you're pressured into filling the form because the form is authored by the state. And then you are providing information on a form 
uh, where the, the, the words on the template, you don't know the meanings of. So they can interpret that form whichever way they want because they created it. Now, the old trick, which has been discussed in many, many different research tracks, is that you should never really provide any information on, on their forms. You should just ask, well, what information do you need? And then just write it on a blank piece of paper and say, okay, here you go. Because then you get to define what those words mean. And you get to sort of, if, if that paper pops up anywhere as, as, as evidence of anything, you can always come back and say, well, I'm the only one who knows what those words are supposed to mean. So you cannot interpret them. Sweet, let's, let's address that. You, you've brought up a big, big issue here that speaks to the entirety of modern living. You just pointed out that when a new life comes into this world, you make your own birth certificate, right? You're a baby. You're the one who's bringing the new life. Mm. And yet what actually happens is this other place assumes authority and pressures you to fill out these documents. Now, what you have pointed out, whoever authors the document gets the ultimate decision on what that document means. Yeah. You know, Sui, I feel like I want to lay down your recap from episode 301 just to catch up all the minds because we're starting to get into places they won't have any framework. Is this a good place to do that? Yeah. Okay. So basically, Sui gave us brilliant notes and it's titled, or the first big hour one bullet point is the untrue paperwork. Now from episode 301, this is what Sui has in his possession and what he has investigated. He has copies of birth records and a certificate of live birth from a hospital, notification of a child to the population register from the church and a birth certificate from the population registers. Now he, he went back and forth and tried to get to the bottom of so many things. He has many emails that prove officials don't know who drafted the documents or templates. The officials don't know what the words on the templates are intended to mean. The officials don't know who filed the forms. Now, that's a, that's kind of a big deal. They're collecting forms and they don't know who the hell's filing them. The officials don't know where they got the information that's on the forms or who gave it to them. The officials say they have no reason to suspect that the information on this document is not true. Now, as it goes forward, Sui pointed out he knows the documents are not correct especially there's no living being was created on the birthday. The certificate of live birth has a material omission of 730 grams of material. Did you guys all catch that? A new, a new life came into the world. They weighed it. They filled out all this paperwork and lo and behold, 730 grams are missing. Hint, hint, hint. And lastly, to catch everyone up from three episode 301, the documents have been used to create an entry in the population register. The population register entry is a registered person, in quotes. All government issue ID and documents are based on that information. Their authority over the registered person is based on the information. This registered person or whoever acts in the capacity is subject to local authority. Now, I just wanted to get all that down, sweet. Jason, anything you want to get in before sweet picks up? I feel like I needed to get people caught up. Well, again, what we're trying to do here is really understand what's underneath it all. This is not go walk into a court and automatically start saying a whole bunch of stupid crap, and then they're going to stomp your head in because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, This is trying to understand what is the basis for all of this stuff, all this paperwork, all of these accounts. We know there's something to it. The Patriot mythology comes in where people start declaring themselves the grand poobah of the post office. stupid crap like that. That's where you, you're taking it way too far. There is something to this. And what we are trying to uncover here is what is the reality to the paperwork. Perfectly said. And Sui, I'm going to hand it back to you. But basically, you have to comprehend before you can act. And what we have seen and probably, you know, intended psychological opposition. Yeah, go ahead. Go with the birth certificate. You folks don't even have a clue. Go waste your time doing that and get yourself in trouble in, in certain ways. What Sui is doing here is factually figuring out what has happened here. Is that base level enough, Sui, to carry on? Yeah, that's it. Look at it as an audit. So I'm saying that if you look at what I've been doing as an audit, 
I'm saying that what I've what I see in the paperwork, it's not correct. So how can anything be created with this kind of paperwork? It's ridiculous. It's not true. There are all kinds of question marks. And when I try to get the questions answered, nobody knows or they dodge the questions or, or I get total silence. And no matter how high I push it. But that doesn't change the fact that it, it's not true. The paperwork is not true. See, one thing that people need to realize is that you cannot change reality. You can only change people's perceptions of reality. Perfect. But the reality is what it is. Mind precedes all, Swee. So what basically just got laid down there is the first principle of hermetics. And so this fake thing happens when you're born. And if you accept it as real, then everything you do in your life is based on a fiction. Yeah. So it's really a big step, that one, to, to realize. And then you have to look at it. You have to try and take a step back because it's hard to understand that if you don't have information about something, then it's not part of your thinking. And that's why some things don't make sense because you don't have the information. So you've been taught something, but you never considered any alternative possibility. And if you never considered that, you don't have the information. So you basically blank out when you face a situation where it, it just doesn't compute, you know? So, so what, what it means is that if you don't have any evidence of reality, if you never thought about it, then you're sort of forced to accept a fictional reality. And this, all this paperwork, this sort of unclear uh, paperwork created by somebody somewhere is supposed to be evidence of reality. But it's not when you start looking at it. It's actually evidence of the contrary. Well, it starts to show you that all, I don't even know the right word to use. People are going to call me on it. Legal ideas are fictions, right? Isn't that really the basis of where this goes? Maybe if I said law, there would be something connected to nature, which is indisputable. But what's going on here is you and I are about to get into the legal justifications. How the hell can a system use on true information? Uh, information? And what you've done is uncovered the legal justifications. And so that tells you that the system we call legal itself is fictional. Yeah, but there are, there are different levels, or should I say jurisdictions. And some of them, those jurisdictions are based on slightly different information. But let's talk about this paperwork first. By the way, this happens in every country. And it's created by the local authorities, the same guys who create the local laws. So this is all within a local jurisdiction, within the country. And you have your rules and courts and, and all that. So, but now we know that this paperwork is not correct. So my question is, well, how can they operate this system, which is based on this, based on an assumption that you are acting in a capacity that is essentially fiction. So it has to be backed up by something in the system, in the legal system. And what I did find is a couple of more references. So first of all, the paperwork from the hospital, it's, it has to be medical jurisprudence. So basically, it's forensic medicine in terms of, let's say, expert testimony of something that, that has a biological reality to it. So, you know, just like in the TV series, you would have a forensic medicine looking into something that happened and then drawing some conclusions about it. And I went into these books and I looked at what's, what, how are these sort of medical lawyers looking at different things. And I found sections and sections about birth and inheritance. And what is really interesting is that those two things are sort of lumped in together in this literature. So what you're talking about is like what happens at birth and how is that definition going to affect the position uh, relative to the inheritance rights of the baby. Also in, this, in these sections uh, and in this literature, they talk about monsters, monster births more so in the older books than, than the recent ones. 
But there's one from 1920s, which has, uh, it's called Taylor's Principles and Practice of Medical Jurisprudence, 7th edition, volume 2. You can go to page 483, and it talks about birth, inheritance, and monsters. So um, w when they describe how courts interpret evidence from medical witnesses, I have a quote from the book here. And remember, this is a law book. So the law must be entirely guided in its decision by the description of the monstrous birth given by a medical witness. It would not rest with him to say whether the being was or was not a monster. The court would draw its inference from the description given by him. But what is a monster, Sui? I'm sorry to interrupt, but what is a monster by that definition? So that would be something else than a normal living human the way it's supposed to be okay. basically because there's so many you know you you have all these ideas about it but it's something that is not correct let's put it that way something has gone wrong right but there is even biologically this indefinite amount of things that can go wrong basically and you know you all everybody knows some examples of this but basically you really have to look at the literature i don't i don't want to start getting into that here but what is important is that the courts rely on medical evidence and the medical evidence is the description given by a medical witness so my question is isn't the certificate of live birth a description given by a medical witness because that's exactly what it looks like it has biological it has these measurements on it, and it's signed by a medical person who was there supposedly at the time of the, the event. But the problem is it doesn't describe a man or a woman the way they are created. The measurements are wrong. And on the document, you have a lot of uh, words that are not defined by these guys, such as uh, born alive. So. This is the base document that creates the identity on the record, and um, it has some problems, but the courts can rely on that piece of paper because they just take it as a, as a given. Now, there's another maxim of law that it comes in uh, as, as a very important one here. And this one, I, I took it from a book called uh, Guide to Latin in International Law. It's an Oxford University Press book. And it's a Latin maxim, but basically the English, or in Latin it's in dubio, Hayek legis constructio quam verba uh, ostendum, which means that when in doubt, the construction of the law is the one that the words indicate. When the meaning or intent of law, agreement, or treaty is uncertain, the words should be read according to their plain meaning. Okay, so we just talked about the plain meaning in terms of rules of evidence and the plain meaning was only the plain meaning in rules of evidence is a logical fallacy so they take this paperwork and they read it they can interpret it the way it's written and they can ignore the fact that they don't know what the intended meaning was so what this means is basically that they can take the the, the, the witness testimony and they can say this is not a man as it's created this is something else which is then taking a parallel from church documents it's uh, exactly what the unum sanctum uh, says it's the human creature versus the spiritual man which is the true man so these couple of maxims and definitions by themselves reveal that they can treat this information the way they want. Let me close the loop because then this becomes a question of do you accept that truth or not? And that's the question in law. They can take the paperwork and say, the paperwork says this, and then they test you. Do you know what you are or do you accept the untrue paperwork? Okay, so I just want to try to clarify a couple things. We've had plenty of guests on that called what we call the afterbirth, to be very specific, the umbilicus, the placenta, the call, everything that is typically described as afterbirth, they called it an inheritance. Now, when I went out to try to vet this, 
I found exactly that, that back in a different time, that was commonly called the inheritance of the baby. And in listening to what you just laid down, and I'm going to ask you two things. Is that what, when you were saying inheritance, do you feel like that's what's being reflected is the afterbirth? And by the way, are they using that to like, if you can't inherit, then you're not a living human being or, you know, you see where I'm going here? Yeah, exactly. That, that's the way it goes. Because it, what the way I like to think about this is from the biological perspective. Most of the people think that everything started at the birthday. And that's what's being repeated and celebrated all over and over again. And you have all these meanings to it, like the, the placenta actually in Greek meaning uh, the, uh, the cake and all that. But you have to realize that it's not true. So in reality, the life existed before that. And in reality, you were not created as a man or woman without that organ. You were created with it. It's part of you. And it's an organ. So the paperwork that doesn't account for that is not correct. Yeah, but isn't it? That's, that's what I'm getting at, Sui. Isn't that, in, isn't that incorrect on purpose? Because the idea is... Okay, I had a baby. Hey, give me all the things we call afterbirth right now. I'm taking it home. There's one situation. Here's the other one. I had a baby. I don't know up from down. Oh, they're taking the afterbirth away. See, afterbirth, not important to me. I just want my baby back. Isn't that the trap that's being set partially? Yeah, it is. So you can even look at it from the, again, let's get back to the certificate of live birth. And in the last discussion we had in 301, we talked about this definition because it says on it, it refers to the bone alive. It's being issued to each bone alive. So the, the definition of bone alive, as, as we know, is from, uh, if you look at Black's Law, fifth page 167, it says that a bone alive is a product of conception. And then it has a, a lengthy description after that. Uh, you can go and, and, and dig it out. But it says that, first of all, it's a product of conception. And then it says at the end of the definition that each product of such birth is considered live-born and fully recognized as a human person. Now, the problem is conception is not fertilization. Now, the only product of conception, and conception means the implantation of the fertilized egg into the wall of the uterus, the only thing created at conception is the maternal placenta. So basically what this description says is that the certificate of live birth can be issued to either one if you treat them separately, the man without the organ and the organ without the man. Wow. There's the duplication, the fictitious duplication. Yeah, and I think I said it last time. Both of those, if you treat them separately, both of those are fiction. So I, I don't want to back up, but I, I still have questions. So I was adopted in the city of San Diego. So it's pretty clear that I didn't get my inheritance. Does that make me a monster by definition? Or I mean, I know no. I, you don't want to <laughs> sit there. Yeah, but you see where I'm going here. Yeah, yeah. No, let's, let's, let's say this is a thought experiment that helped me a lot. You have to look at it from this, this perspective that this, what, what's reality? Like it's only what happens. And what happens is anything that happens without anyone, a man or woman doing anything. And that's basically what happens in nature. And you can think of it as what happens if there was no people on earth? So those things that ha would happen then, those are part of reality. Then add people. So then what do you add into the reality? You add whatever the people do. So anything that happens has to be done by somebody once you have people added into that picture. And the thought experiment, you can, it's easier if you think about like adding one by one more and more people. So then things get more and more complicated and more and more things start to get done. But anything that happens has to be done by someone because everything else except... So if it's either done by someone or it happens naturally without man doing anything. And those two things are reality. 
And when you start approaching it like that, you cannot accept paperwork that nobody can't explain. There has to be some intent behind it. You can't just take a paper and take it at face value because there was somebody who created the paperwork and there was some intent behind it. Now, if you start looking at it like that, that's exactly what law is. You're trying to find the reasons behind what's happened. Who did it and why? You know, once you know what has happened. Well, now we know what has happened. We have evidence about it. The questions become, who did this and why? And why do we keep on relying on this paperwork that is obviously total nonsense? Who worded these papers like this? Who drafted the form? Who actually discussed in their meeting about which words should be on the certificate of live birth? I want answers to those questions. So I want to ask whoever drafted it, why did they choose those words? You know, Sui, I just did a very quick lookup, and it's not very well researched, but I simply said, what is the legal definition of the word monster? The very top return in Google is a human being by birth, but in some part resembling a lower animal. A monster hath no inheritable blood and cannot be heir to any land, albeit even though brought forth in marriage. And so I think that starts to answer part. If I'm following you correctly, and I'm making the assumption that I was classified as a monster because I didn't get my inheritance, but that one thing alone would have to be part of the reason, wouldn't it? You can't own anything. You can't inherit anything. Yeah, but look, you say you were classified as it. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying, no, I am not a monster (laughs) and I don't accept what I accept is I was abused. That's what I accept. Someone did me wrong because I didn't know any better and probably couldn't even talk yet. But, but just that definition, I mean, I know you don't want to get into the definition of monster, but it starts to show this is about control, isn't it? Exactly. So, so we can talk about the monster in the way that, see, if you look at the Let's go back to the born alive definition because it says uh, the product of conception after the complete expulsion or extraction from mother, irrespective of the duration of the pregnancy, which uh, breathes, shows any other evidence of life, such as beating of the heart, pulsation of the umbilical cord, or definite movement of voluntary muscles, whether or not the umbilical cord has been cut or the placenta is attached. So basically, whatever signs of life you have, in anything, anything biological, it can be classified as born alive human person. It doesn't give any other, it doesn't say it has to have a spine or brain, right? Right. It says any other evidence of life, such as pulsation of the umbilical cord. Well, it pulsates like half an hour, even if it's cut. So there you go. It's such a stupid definition. But why do they use this terminology? That's the reason why you have to get back and start asking, like, why do you create your paperwork like this? What's the intent behind this? The intent behind it, I'll, I'll take a shot, was because back in the day, people trusted the church or the officials, and they didn't question what they were doing, and the people who drafted the documents knew this. And as a matter of fact, we, if we want to be honest, can't we really say that about people now? You're the first person that I've met that said, wait a minute. What's going on with all this paperwork? I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So in some respects, we're still doing the damn same thing. Yeah, it's it's amazing because we've, we've had some people now, more than others than myself, asking these questions. And you get these ridiculous answers all the time back. So it's like, I, th- I think like a million people should send this question to the hospitals. Let's just get this one thing answered. What is this definition? Born alive. Like one thing, why is this like this? <laughs> why it's on the paperwork? Because even the, the nurses who are working on the maternity wards, they don't know. They, have, they just basically give these template answers that, that are full of assumptions. And they just give them like immediately. And they totally freeze when you start asking the difficult questions. What this leads to, let me throw in a couple of other legal definitions. First of all, another Latin legal maxim is ex nihilo nihil fit. It means that out of nothing, nothing is created. So, and the meaning of that is that no legal right 
arises from an invalid source. So if the paper is wrong, it doesn't have an effect in law. So this is a big deal because remember the paperwork leads down to the registered person on the population record. And, and that registered person has a passport, for example, and a driver's license. That's the citizen. And that's the subject of the authority. That's the object of the authority of the state, basically. Right. Because the actual reality doesn't have a passport or a license. Yeah. So, so, so then you step into that identity. Right. You identify as that. Sweet. To put it, to put it out on the table and tell me if I'm wrong, but this is the way I've been looking at the world. If you want to use goods and services provided by whoever, big corporations, whoever's providing goods and services officially, you have to become a fiction to do it. No, I don't think so. It depends on the supplier. <laughs> well, that's that's totally true. Okay, let me rephrase that. Someone who says, you want a driver's license. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we know who we're talking about here. If you want a driver's license, you're going to get one as a fiction. Mm. The question is, what's your authority to provide me with one? That is the question. <laughs> and and actually, we're dancing around. I'm, I'm not even going to push because I can tell you know where we're going here in reality is really the solution, but it's not like it's going to happen overnight. The solution is reality. This is the same topic, by the way, if you read the sort of older books like Thomas Paine and these guys. So, so they talk about the same question of where does the authority come from? You know, back in the days when they, they got tired of, of all this. So then they said that, look, the government cannot logically exist before people, right? You go back to the thought experiment again. There's nobody on earth. And then you start adding people. And at some point, the people decide, let's form some kind of a government structure and let's appoint some people to run it. And then that government as an institution gets its authority from someone because it cannot get it from nature. It's a legal fiction in itself and it has to have the authority given to it by someone, right? Perfect. The people logically have to exist before the government, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. Okay, so then you can go into more legal maxims about this. Nemo plus juris transfere ad alium potest quam ipsa habet. No one can transfer more rights to another than he himself has. Okay? Right. So, so now the question becomes, when did I transfer my authority? You never, well, see, this is the trap. In, in reality, you never did. Hmm, exactly. Or my question, I've, I've asked these questions, like, can you tell me exactly, and look at the biology now, Starting from fertilization, at what point have I given up my authority to you? This is the crux of the problem because the system, the fictitious system, is acting as if, I don't know, you should have known better or you're not even human being because you didn't know better. So therefore, you gave your permission. But the truth is, at no time did we agree into this. And I'll make an observation right here, Sui. And I'm sorry, but it's a logical observation to me. I know who created this, not specifically, but I know their intent. They were evil. By, by the way we use the word evil, they fit the definition, and it's simply this logical. A baby came into the world. It was perfect, granted by the creator with the divine spark and with free will. And what happened is someone wanted to reclassify that. Isn't that really the definition of evil? And so if that's all correct, doesn't it show you there is no authority? And you just kind of addressed it in the Latin. It's all a fugazi attempt to set a trap and then fool people. I would say it this way. There is authority, but the people who were granted originally for maybe some valid reason, that authority, realized that this is a pretty neat system. We like it. Show me and the authority. And then they though. made sure that nobody over time remembers how that happened. I like it. But again, show me the authority now, please. Oh, where is the authority? Yeah. Well, still the, so look, in reality, where did that come from? From the people. <laughs> so all new people are created each day. 
So it's inherited authority, but that, that opens up another logical problem, Swee, because we don't know who created the document. So the definition of the document is in question. Sorry, what document are you talking about? Any document, any birth-related document. If you don't know the source, then according to some of the maxims you've produced, we can't certainly define it unless we go yeah, to the definition you pointed yourself. out. But you didn't draft it. Oh, but you don't need to. You, you, you give their forms back and say, what information do you want and why? And if I can write it for you. If I write a document where I describe it, if somebody has a valid reason to know these details about a newborn, I can write them on a piece of paper myself and give that piece of paper to whoever has a valid reason to get it. Which changes. And then I which get, changes, then I, though. It turns the table, man. Because I get to define what those words You're mean. You're absolutely right. So someone listening to this episode could be in a situation and say, nope, I'm writing my birth certificate because I created this life or I was part of creating this life and take that possession of the definition. Don't even call it certificate. Okay. Call say, it whatever well, the heck why you do want. You, first of all, why do you need information? <laughs> and what information do you well, need? I, I like where you're going. Um, yeah. I, I'm not filling out anything. I like that. I'm, I'm going to go home and write it in my Bible. <laughs> uh, yeah. So because certificate sounds like something you can buy and sell. It is. And it's a horrible definition. And in the episode image, I tell everyone to look up the word certify and get to the second and third meanings. But that doesn't erase what I was getting at. We have a system. Unfortunately, my mother, whoever she may have been, did create certificates and registrations and we have all these documents. No one knows who wrote them, apparently. And so I think there's a, there's a difference in the outcome between those of us who are already in the life that I'm in, where there's supposedly a fiction that gets used as reality, and people who are about to come into the world who have a choice to do exactly what you said, take authorship control of the information. Yeah, don't let other people... Your, and inheritance. I'm starting to think every day that inheritance is so. The inheritance is so important. And by the way, we 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 owe a thank you to Kurt Kallenbach once again. Totally, totally. Some of his observations, the moment he said them, changed my life um, because I realized what a juvenile infant I had been in overlooking such an obvious thing. And this all plays into it. And you see, this is. With Kurt Kallenbach, to cover him further becomes problematic because everyone wants to know, how do I fix it, Kurt? And what Kurt's saying is what Swee's saying. Well, what do you believe? <laughs> do you believe the fiction's true or do you believe in reality? There's the solution. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really an important material that he put out because it forces you to think about the reality, the biological reality, because it, these systems have to connect to it somehow. Now, We've discovered quite a lot of how it connects. And it's not pretty because it's based on layers and layers of unclear information that essentially creates a, an assumption in your head. But it doesn't change the reality. It's just the layer of obfuscation that leads you to draw the wrong conclusions and basically hand out the authority. Because you don't even know that you had it in the first place. Well, our culture reflects it. Think, you know, knowing everything that Kirk Kallenbach informed us of and all the things you're laying down, now think of the idea of celebrating a birthday. What's going on there? Well, first of all, you're further ignoring the fact that you've already had life for roughly nine months. And more than that, the mother, when she's going to have the baby, doesn't pay attention because really she's going to start paying attention when the child is in the world. Now we got to celebrate birthdays when in fact, the real celebration day is at the zygote, the creation of the zygote um, as Kurt Kallenbach. And so what it does is it creates this whole cascade of error. And unfortunately, I'm sticking to it. Whoever came up with these ideas and sounds like you haven't gotten any closer to being certain, that's the definition of evil. Because there is no more perfect example of the creation than a new life, is there? And that's exactly what they tried to screw with. Yeah. No, it's, it seems to me that there are a lot of people who don't even know how to appreciate that, how to appreciate what the reality is. Most of us. Yeah, sadly, very true. But just so you know, we are almost at the top of the hour. If you need to finish a thought there, Sui. 
yeah, let me wrap up by saying that once you see what the paperwork is, that it's fraudulent, there's a really nice legal term called protest. And it has nothing to do with standing around with, uh, you know, uh, some kind of a latte in one hand and a sign in another, you know, in front of some government building. Protest is a declaration. It's, a, it's an email or a letter where you basically declare, uh, I can read the definition, a formal declaration made by a person interested or concerned in some act about to be done or already performed. And in relation thereto, whereby he expresses his dissent or disapproval or affirms the fact to be done against his will or convictions. The object being generally to save some right which would be lost to him if his implied assent could be made out or to exonerate himself from some responsibility which would attach to him unless he expressly negatived his assent to or voluntary participation in the act. Lengthy one, but the point is you need to point out that this is not correct. If you don't point it out, they say silence is acquiescence. Think about the protest definition you just gave applies to so much going in the world around us. I mean, almost verbatim. That's a critical, critical thing. I hope there's a big dis. I hope there's a big discussion about the protest ideas we just laid down. Yeah, look at it this way: a million man march is lot less effective than million emails. Good point. And not only that, there's a record of those, but yeah. we were, we're to the top of the hour. We need to wrap up. I know you're not going to give out contact information, but I assume you will be in comments and able to answer some questions. I will be. Yeah. Okay. There it is. There's hour one of 376. These are critical episodes for me. And again, we owe thank you to Kurt Kallenbach. I would love to keep covering him, but he's laid down what is true, correct, and provably important. What he can't do is come into everyone's life and say, here, let me fix all these messes you're concerned about. Um, What he can do is show you that there is a reality, as Sui is doing, and there's a fiction. And what have you accepted? How do you run your life? But what's more than anything, I think, is we're getting near a point of comprehension where now when a new life came in, people might be able to do some very, very different things. And by the way, That inheritance is a basic one. And we've already covered four or five people who left the hospital with their inheritance. And even then there was hurdles they had to jump Oh, Did you bring your cooler up? It's got to be out of here by this minute and all this other nonsense. Anyhow, join us for hour two of 376 at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. The full show is available to members. And I'd like to wish everybody a happy, healthy and higher-minded new era. And this is a good one to catch the second hour. We're going to cover a lot here. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing. <laughs>